Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Leaders of Energy Change. Uh, we are happy today to have with us Christian Sinetos from BlackRock. Christian, good morning. Good morning, Stelios. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So, uh, Christian, um, I'm seeing that you are currently uh, part of BlackRock's Global Energy and Power Infrastructure Division. Um, you're a, an investor there. Uh, that sounds like a, a pretty exciting, um, uh, you know, division to be working on. Um, could you share a, a little bit about uh, about you, your career, for uh, anyone that doesn't know you yet? Yeah, sure. Very, very happy to do so. Um, so I've been part of the the team that you just mentioned for about nine years, um, and as a team, we have been part of BlackRock for for four years. Before that, we were part of a different investment firm called First Reserve, which I'm sure some of your um, audience are familiar with, given given that First Reserve is a PE house focused on the on the energy sector, exclusively on the energy sector. And before those those nine years with BlackRock and, and First Reserve, I worked in investment banking. I worked at UBS in, in London for almost five years really focused on advising clients in the in the European utility sector. So I've essentially spent my entire career in the in the energy space. Amazing. Uh, so almost 10 years, right? Uh, would you have any kind of um, looking back those 10 years, would you have any kind of highlights that you know you could share with us just so that we get to know you a bit more? Yeah, and there's almost, almost 10 years at um, at Blackhawk and, and and First Reserve I there are there are many highlights, but what I would say is that, um, and we'll talk about our investment strategy later today, is that, that we we essentially invest in companies that develop, uh, construct, own, and also operate energy infrastructure assets. So, as part of our due diligence, or then later on as owners of, of assets, we actually get to to see the assets directly. So. Uh, for me personally, a, a key highlight um, has been visiting our oil production vessels offshore Malaysia and uh, Vietnam in, in in Asia, which involved uh, initially sort of taking a helicopter crash survival training course um, here in in Aberdeen in a very cold uh, swimming swimming pool before uh, flying out to, to Asia and then taking a a helicopter in Malaysia and, and in Vietnam to visit these assets. So it was very, very real and you actually get to see what you what you bought into. And that was fascinating for me as 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 a as a mechanical engineer, at least uh, someone that studied mechanical engineering. Oh wow, that's amazing. Uh, I would never imagine that you had to go through all of that training to start uh, visiting uh, uh, offshore platforms and uh, visiting those assets. That's, that might definitely be something different you know, than a day in the in the office for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it's oil and gas is a is a tightly regulated uh, sector. So um, even just flying offshore requires two or th- it was actually three days of um, of training. But that is a good th- you know that is a that is a good thing. It was fascinating. Fantastic. And uh, are you guys then focusing mostly on Southeast Asia, as you mentioned, like Malaysia and that kind of area, or? Um, is, this, is, is it just part of your, of your overall mandate? We know we have a global mandate, so we, we can invest um, in the energy infrastructure space um, globally. If you like, I can give you a bit of um, background and a bit more sort of detail on what we do as a, 
as a fund if that um, if that is of interest. Okay, good. So we we manage nine billion US dollars in in client funds overall, and thereof around five billion in our in our current fund, which is um, our third fund. And what we do is we invest across the energy infrastructure space globally, as as I just said. So there are four key focus areas. Firstly, power generation. We look at, at both conventional power generation, uh, not coal, but we do invest in, in gas-fired power plants and also renewable energy. That's one power generation. Secondly, we spend a lot of our time in the midstream space, and we have a fairly broad definition of, of what we consider to be midstream. It includes things such as oil pipelines, gas pipelines, uh, storage, both crude storage as well as oil product storage and also chemical storage, as well as LNG uh, facilities, both liquefaction as well as regasification uh, plants. So a very broad definition of midstream. And I would say between power generation and midstream, we've probably um, deployed around sort of two thirds of our capital since since inception of the the business. The, The third area that we focus on is what we call regulated utilities. Um, which is really electricity distribution and and uh, and, and gas distribution. That's um, not an easy space to to invest in and very competitive. Um, and we haven't spent that much time in in that sector. And then lastly, we have a a fourth bucket that we call contracted energy assets, which sounds a little bit like a a catch-all. But um, what we've spent our time on there is uh, things such as contracted energy shipping. Um, and, and smart metering. So really any other sort of asset in the energy space that can benefit from, from contractual protection. It's a pretty, um, uh, you know, big variety of things that is, that is just mentioned. Are you also focusing on any specific uh, geographies or are you, are you again, you know, global in terms of, uh, of your focus? Yeah, we, um, what I would say is that we are a global fund, although we do have an an OECD focus. Um, we can, in addition to investing in the OECD, however, we can invest about um, a quarter of our fund outside of the OECD. So it's it's quite a it's quite a broad uh, a broad uh, mandate geographically. But I think what is also important to highlight is that what we look for across our investments is. Um, is sort of a certain degree of, of contractual protection, which really underpins our businesses' revenues and and, and cash flows, which um, provides us and, and and our investors with visibility over our returns and hence also downside protection in our in our investments. And that is something that you can find um, globally. It's often more important to find the right contractual counterparty. So just to give you an example, if you are um, entering into a contract with uh, Shell, it, it it is less important where the where the asset is um, where the asset is based. It uh, the the key sort of thing that we look at is the credit quality of of of, um, of Shell. So this you know this element of downside protection is very is a very important building block uh, in in all of our in all of our investments. I get you, and then uh, Shell will worry about uh, all of these other risks, right? Um... In all of those different countries. So, but then you don't mind because Shell essentially is abstracting all of that. All of that stuff makes sense. That's right. Yeah, makes sense. 
And then you mentioned energy infrastructure, right? Something that we hear a lot lately, especially with uh, all of the energy transition talk that has been going on, right? Uh, I think building robust and uh, distributed and very reliable kind of energy infrastructure is uh, is one of the building blocks that in my that in my mind is really necessary to really reach this energy transition, um, you know, goal. So did it. Uh, you know, all of those talks about sustainability and we've also seen recently BlackRock made this kind of a vow to really be you know, as sustainable as possible. Did it change your mandates? Do, do you see it accelerated? You know, was it impacted at all? Yeah, that's that's a good question. You're, you're certainly right uh, that BlackRock and also in particular BlackRock CEO Larry Fink has, has really been an, an opinion leader on the on the topic of sustainability. And um, if you look at sort of the last year, 2020 was a year of historic uh, climate change uh, commitments. And what we what we saw was that really all key stakeholders, so companies, uh, governments, um, and also investors such as ourselves, have really centered in on this uh, this principle of of net zero, which really means building an economy that emits no more carbon than it than it removes uh, from the atmosphere by 2050. So Clearly, for us as, as energy investors, these are hugely relevant developments, given that the energy sector accounts for a, around three quarters of all greenhouse gas emissions globally. That's three quarters. So it's, it's a huge, a huge proportion. So, in terms of the impact on our on our investment strategy, what I would say is that a, a key thing to realize is that oil and gas will continue to to play a key role um, in the the global energy mix for for many decades to come. If you look at oil, oil is is very difficult to to displace, um, in particular as a transportation fuel. And um, natural gas is used primarily in heating and, and and power generation. And demand for natural gas is continuing to grow, in particular driven by by Asia. So both oil and gas are are here to stay for the foreseeable future. And that means that there will be a, a continued need for for infrastructure to to support the production, the the transport, the storage, and also the the distribution of of hydrocarbons. So that means that we as as investors will continue to look for investments in the in those in those sectors. Um, now, what we have done is is integrate uh, sustainability into our investment uh, process. What what does that mean what does that actually mean it means that we sort of we analyze esg risks and uh, and opportunities very comprehensively for for all new acquisitions and also when frankly when working with our existing portfolio companies our existing investments and we will look at a number of a range of questions such as for example is the company we're looking at carrying out its operations sustainably or is there room uh, for improvement, um, how resilient is the investment to to climate change? Um, what would happen to the investment if a let's say a carbon pricing regime were to be introduced, or are there any environmental regulatory changes that are on the horizon? Particularly, uh, for example, in the maritime space, which is a sector that we've invested in recently, um, or for example, do the the companies that we invest in have the right analytics um, in place to measure ESG performance. 
And also, I would say very importantly, when, when it comes to exiting an investment, who are the likely buyers and how will they, how will they value the investment in a potentially even more sustainability-focused world? So there are a lot of questions that we, uh, that we ask ourselves when, when investing, a lot of sustainability questions that we ask ourselves when investing. But it's, what I would say, and you know, that's, you know, sustainability is, is a big topic, so there, there's a lot to, to say. But in, in summary, what I would say is it's, it's really as simple as saying that, firstly, we're very focused on, on sustainability. It's a hugely important topic in, in today's world. Um, secondly, for us as energy investors, acting sustainably does not mean no longer investing in oil and gas linked infrastructure, but it does mean that that we are and we will have to continue to be a steward for for acting and, and operating as sustainably as possible, which will ultimately also make for better investments. Makes sense. So if I hear you uh, correctly, essentially, uh, ESG is becoming now one of the main like risk indices that you are taking a lot into into, into account when you are assessing uh, opportunities, right? Um, but then at the same time, do you think that all of this uh, sustainability trend has actually created more investment opportunities that, you know, more investment opportunities, especially in the energy infrastructure, were created because of that? Or uh, do you think that it's, it's just adding an, an extra, you know, risk in this that you should definitely, you know, be looking at when you are making this in, uh, investment uh, decisions? No, that's a good question. I think it's, a, it's actually a, um, a little bit of both. So when looking at investments in more traditional energy infrastructure sectors, um, such as, you know, oil, um, oil pipelines or, or gas pipelines, um, it is sort of an additional risk metric that we that we will look at. Um, but I do think that the, you know, the sort of sustainability trend is creating and already has created um, new investment opportunities. And we can we can talk about those um, a little bit later, but there are um, various sort of new sectors that have um, emerged over the last few few years that will create um, investment opportunities for for sort of infrastructure funds such as ourselves. So it's a, it's, a, it's a combination of the two. Okay, makes sense. Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let's dive in uh, on those opportunities a little bit. Um, you know, on those opportunity themes potentially a bit later, uh, if that's okay with you as well, Christian. Um, I wanted to ask you though. Um, in the meantime, so we see in energy because uh, because it's 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 very much dependent on oil and gas. Uh, a lot of those investments, we see these kind of cycles of market cycles that exist, right? And um, of course, this uh, introduces a lot of risk. Um, so, since you guys are investing more in energy infrastructure, do you feel that? Uh, such investments in infrastructure are providing more portfolio stability that is, you know, less susceptible to all of those market cycles. Yeah, look, what I would say is that investors invest in in infrastructure in order to to add stability uh, to their portfolios, um, and typically infrastructure funds, and this definitely includes our fund as well. We look to to pay out dividends to our investors on a on a regular basis. So, for example, we target a dividend yields between seven and eleven percent per year, which is um, is quite high compared to what you can get in the in the stock market, for example. So that's that is an attractive feature for a lot of our our clients, which are typically uh, pension funds and uh, and insurance companies that like the the regular 
um, cash flows. What I would also say is that um, we target investments in critical energy infrastructure where the the underlying business is not as exposed to to economic cycles. So, for example, we've invested in a gas pipeline which supplies low-cost gas from Algeria to Spain under long-term contracts. And this gas is, is, is highly likely to be required by Spain, irrespective of where we are in the economic cycle. Another example, we, we've also invested in a business called Callison in the UK. Um, Callison is a business which is, is rolling out smart electricity and gas meters, which is mandated by the, the UK government. And a, a UK recession is, is very unlikely to significantly impact uh, the, the business. So we do look for stability in our underlying businesses, and that is often achieved through longer-term off-take contracts with creditworthy counterparties. And what we look to do in, in our fund, we aim to structure our investments such that we are protected um, and our investors are protected as much as possible from changes in, in macroeconomic uh, drivers and factors that are really outside of our control. So, for example, we engage on the effects uh, side, we engage in, in hedging. Um, on the um, interest rate side, we we look to enter into into hedges as well, and in our investments, we investments we also look to avoid direct commodity price exposure as much as we can. So you can do that through hedging, or you can also do that contractually through having other parties take the direct commodity price exposure. But look, I think it is also at the same time it's unrealistic to to expect to be able to to structure away exposure to to economic conditions and, and market cycles entirely. And our approach, I think, is a realistic. It's a realistic one. Um, it is to really to minimize exposure to such factors um, that 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 can impact our investments that are outside of our control. You've been in this, uh, you know, uh, in this industry for a long time. How how would you say that the you know investment landscape and the M and A uh, environment has changed over those years? Uh, potentially, I mean, okay, ten years is a long time, right? So a lot of things happened. But potentially, could you uh, identify um, how would you see it changing over the last, you know, three, four, five years, and what do you think would would come next? Yeah, that's uh, no, that's a good question. I think um, a key development clearly has been the rise of, of ESG and sustainability, and we we have already uh, touched on it. Um, but it, what it does mean is that there is less capital that is focused on hydrocarbon-linked um, energy infrastructure, which is really a double-edged uh, sword for us. Um, on the on the one hand, it's it's a positive when buying into assets and, and, and companies because there is somewhat less competition. But it also means, on the flip side, that it's harder to create competitive tension when, when selling our investments. I think overall, it's, it's forced us to be more um, focused on sustainability aspects of, of our investments as I, as I already mentioned earlier on in the in the podcast and that is that is a good thing so that's one big that's one very big uh, topic and will continue to be a big driver the other thing that comes to mind is that it's really the the advent of of mega infrastructure funds so if you look at some of the big names in the infrastructure space uh, GIP, 
for example, global infrastructure partners, they are currently investing out of a 22 billion US dollar fund exclusively focused on, on infrastructure. EQT are currently raising a 15 billion euro infrastructure fund. KKR are currently raising a 12 billion um, infrastructure fund. So the, these are enormous amounts of, of, of capital. And, and that really means that there is huge interest in the, in, the, in the asset class. And the bottom line is that ultimately there is more competition now uh, for infrastructure assets and, uh, and companies than, than five years ago. And I think one of the uh, one of the sort of the side effects of that is that cost of capital has has come down, returns have come uh, have tightened, and in fact, um, a, a number of infrastructure investors have actually established core strategies uh, targeting low cost of capital um, than um, than their sort of flagship funds. Um, and, that, and that is a development that is very similar to what is happening in the in the broader. It's it's a development that is very similar to, to what is happening in the broader uh, private equity uh, universe, where um, a number of private equity houses have established core private equity funds with with low cost of capital elements. So, but I, what I would say is, bottom line is that as an asset class, infrastructure has has really boomed uh, in in this world of of low interest rates, and um, infrastructure more broadly has really established itself as a as a an important component in um, investor portfolio, portfolios globally and i think i would say that this trend will will only continue as as infrastructure as an as an asset class is is still underinvested so there'll be more capital flowing into the infrastructure space wow that's extremely impressive uh christian and for sure those numbers are uh, are quite big so essentially, you see uh, infrastructure being uh, one of the main uh, asset classes that will boom for the next uh, few years. Okay, that, that's amazing. And um, yeah, uh, that's super impressive. And one question that I wanted to, to ask actually, uh, since we are speaking about ESG and investment towards ESG, I don't think that we can exclude you know, hydrogen out of these kind of uh, conversations. So do you see also that... Um, uh, a lot of these really big funds raised will be targeting more like traditional kind of infrastructure asset classes, or do you think that maybe some of this will also be in, redirect, redirected to the you know hydrogen trend that we see uh, as well? And it definitely needs a lot of uh, funding for for its own infrastructure, right? Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. I think that there will continue to be opportunities in the in the more traditional um, energy infrastructure space um, and I think in particular the more sizable opportunities will continue to be in the traditional energy infrastructure space so for example uh, you might have seen that um, Saudi Aramco sold off a um, sort of a chunk in their their oil pipelines uh, quite recently to a consortium of infrastructure investors, which was um, an enormous transaction. Um, that is, of course, you know, trad- very traditional energy infrastructure, oil pipelines. Um, so, and, uh, and that also links in quite nicely with what I said earlier um, around oil and gas will, that oil and gas will continue to play a role in the foreseeable future and, and the infrastructure will be, will be needed. So that won't go away. And, and for us, that will continue to be an important source of, um, of deal flow of investment opportunities, but at the same time, we are 
we're excited um, about sort of the new opportunities that are emerging as a result of the the energy transition. And I think we're probably not we're not the only ones. Um, just to give you a number of examples, um, we have um, invested in the smart metering uh, space um, here in the in the UK. We bought a company called Callison, which is actually a, a take private, um, and they engage in the rollout of uh, smart meters across the across the UK. In the say in the shipping space, um, there are some very interesting uh, developments. So, for example, shipping can play a role in in carbon capture and, and storage through transporting CO2 from from the source of, of the CO2 to the uh, to the storage locations. Um, that's it's, it's a very interesting opportunity set. It will take some time for it to to sort of gain critical critical size, but but something to to keep an eye on. Um, in the the airline space, um, alternative aviation fuels is a is a big topic. Um, they will need to be blended and and, and stored and, and transported, and that will require dedicated infrastructure. And then you mentioned yourself, hydrogen. Um, hi, hydrogen is um, is a topic that has has gained a lot of um, has attracted a lot of attention. Over the last uh, the last few years, um, I think the the hydrogen value chain will will create a significant uh, investment uh, need over over the next few few years. But I think it's still a little bit early to to be able to invest in in hydrogen in a in a, in a very sizable manner. So I think the way that this is going to play out is that existing sort of companies will will be spending time. Um, on hydrogen projects as part of their broader uh, broader asset base, their broader portfolios, and that's certainly something that that, that we are also doing across our um, across our uh, portfolio companies. I get you, um, and then uh, eventually when we've uh, we've reached a critical mass uh, in terms of hydrogen projects, uh, then it might start becoming uh, the sole focus of uh, funds and uh, like more core to the strategy. I would assume. Agreed. <laughs> Perfect, Christian. Thank you. Uh, uh, time flew real quickly. We've uh, we've reached uh, almost uh, thirty minutes already. Um, thanks a lot for a very comprehensive uh, overview of your strategy and you know the overall energy industry. Um, I think it was uh, quite impressive. Uh, everything you mentioned about how big of a focus energy infrastructure investments are. Um, are uh, acquiring right now, and those massive funds that are uh, that are being um, raised, and you know how uh, infrastructure is uh, is booming right now. Um, so thanks a lot for everything. Could you uh, could you give us um, a little bit more uh, info potentially uh, if someone wants to reach you for more questions or uh, you know pick your brains or maybe um, you know uh, ask you for for some uh, investment. Where 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 could they uh, where could they find you? Yeah, sure. Um, you you can find me on on LinkedIn. You can always send me a message on LinkedIn, and then happy to take it from there. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks for being with us, uh, Christian. Have a great day. Thank you, Celios.